there's a friction that exists within them. And this is a, a, a concept that I discussed with them. It's called the, the theory of positive disintegration by Dr. Dabrowski. Incredible, smart man in the 80s and 70s. Uh, he came up with this theory because he believed that highly intelligent people, in order for them to develop personally, they almost have to go through a period of disintegration, whether it's depression, anxiety, bipolar, psychosis, anything of these mental disorders, they get diagnosed by that by professionals who are not experienced in high intelligence. But if they would be experienced in high intelligence, they would not only diagnose the client, they would also tell them, but this is actually inevitable. And this is a great moment for you in your life because now you're shedding all these old beliefs that you have about yourself. Welcome to the Alcoholic Edition Podcast. My name is Lee Davy. I'm not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol and I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same, like right now. So, very, very quickly, before we get on to our guest today, get if you want to learn more about the work that we're doing, the fabulous work that we're doing, if you want to be... 1,000 days sober and beyond. If you want to have a beautiful relationship with yourself and empowering relationships with other people, then here is what you could do, okay? If you want to do everything for free, everything for free, you don't want to put your hand in your pocket and uh, you're not into all that kind of stuff, you want to do everything for free, just keep listening to this podcast. Check out our Instagram feed, 1000 Days Sober. Check out our YouTube channel, 1000 Days Sober. Join our private Facebook group, 1kdaysober at gmail.com. That is the number one, 1kdaysober at gmail.com. And ask our community manager, Richie, if you can join. Get all that for free, okay? If you uh, want to dip your hand in your pocket and commit to invest in yourself and your growth, then here are the opportunities that we have for you. Go to our website, www.1000daysober.com, and head to our workshop page. And we're always running workshops there. We've got workshops on anxiety. We've got workshops on loneliness and uh, connection. We've got workshops on cravings. So head over there and see what we have up and running and join us there. Okay, that's one area that you could do that. If you want to experience the strive, the, the stuck phase of the Strive Method for Addictions, or you want to experience the stuck phase of the Strive Method for Relationships, then give us a shout. Email us at that email address I told you earlier, and we can let you have a look at that for one month and to give you a greater kind of understanding of what we're all about in our big workshops. And those big workshops are Strive Method for Addictions and Strive Method for Relationships. Six months, you can either choose a group, a peer group working option, or a personal coaching option. And to learn more about those, you need to jump on a call with myself or a member of the 1000 Days Sober team. And you can find out how to do that on our website, 1000daysober.com. Okay. All right. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to our guest, Barman Zagami. Throughout our life, we tend to pick up beliefs and values that we end up internalizing along the way. But when push comes to shove and we realize that these ideas do not hold up under scrutiny, where do we go from there? In this episode, high-performance coach Barman Zagami explains the theory of positive disintegration and why it's crucial to look inward in our pursuit of meaning. He argues that we have been conditioned to internalize external expectations at the expense of our personal development. Although his work focuses on brilliant and sensitive individuals, his insights can apply to anyone who seeks to move past life on the outside looking in. Tune in to the full episode to discover why disintegration can be positive and necessary for growth. And in uh, this episode, we will uh, talk a little bit about Barman's life. We will define what high intelligence is, the theory of positive disintegration, what we get wrong about intelligence, development lines. We'll talk a little bit about childish behavior. It's probably me that. Understanding the highly intelligent, weaponizing high intellect on sensitivity and numbing, self-love and self-sabotage, the five levels of disintegration and ending the act. So without further ado, I'll shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of Barman Zagami. And if you want to work with this wonderful fellow, go over to our website, head to the podcast page, find his particular niche 
and you can find his links. Much love, everybody. Barman Zagami, how are you diddling? Thank you. It's an honor, Lee. I'm so happy to be here. One of the greatest poker content creators in the world, obviously. It's my pleasure, my honor to be here. So happy to have a, have a chance to talk with you. You're too kind. You're too kind, Barman. Why don't you um, start by just explaining to people? I've done a little intro before this, but if you could just explain to people what it is that you do and uh, how we, we kind of got connected. Absolutely. Well, um, I'm a high performance coach, a mindset coach, mental game coach, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I've worked in counseling for about eight years now. Initially, I started off as an um, inner city youth worker. And that was real hard, grimy, rough work on the streets with kids and, and, and criminal environments and, and uh, uh, social uh, uh, problems. And it was a lot of fun, learned a lot. I come from that environment myself, uh, so it was a great place to give something back to the community. But eventually I got a little bit too old for that, and I felt like maybe I should narrow it down and find something safe and calm to settle and you know, find a place uh, for me to actually work uh, where I don't get wet or shot at or stabbed. <laughs> so <laughs> I discovered my passion, and there was high intelligence. It really uh, it attracted me early when I met a couple of young kids. We shared so many similar challenges. We spoke about it and I found my uh, my new job in Utrecht, in the middle of Holland, in a place called Phoenix Talent, founded by world-renowned Tal Kundering. He got a couple of TED Talks. He's uh, very high respected in high intelligence. He gave me the chance to work with high intelligence, young people, uh, young adults. And basically from there on, I mainly focused on high intelligence and high sensitivity. And after a great conversation with my business partner, who I met in Vietnam, we spoke, we connected, and he told me, bro, everything that you're telling me right now, this is the poker community, right? This high intelligence and high sensitivity, this is actually happening right in front of me with all these players and with golf, with all these mental games that we mm. uh, require a certain level of intelligence, uh, self-awareness, also comes with a lot of unique set of challenges, which I think you've studied a lot. That's where it all started for me. And that was early uh, January when I started Coach Bauman. And it's been uh, uphill ever since. Had a chance to work with Ben CB with Raise Your Edge. It was mm. a pleasure. Um, so, yeah, things are. And now I'm talking with you. So, I mean, full circle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I uh, <clears throat> I didn't get to watch the, the video because I've just been busy. But it's good to see you on his podcast. Gave me the idea to reach out to him myself and uh, pester him if I can go on there. Um, yeah, you should. So, I would love to focus on the the high intelligence for a bit, because, um, you know, like I was, I was looking at that in your, in your about me page. And I was thinking to myself, how does someone, how does someone, unless they've taken a test, how does someone look at that and go, Oh yeah, I've got high intelligence. I'm going to, I'm going to check it. What is it that, that someone is connecting the dots here with you? What, what is it that, uh, that makes someone reach out to you when you see that word high intelligence? Mm hmm it starts in their educational career. There's a couple of profiles that you can um, start to sketch from a very young age. Usually you can even see the signs at uh, four years old. Now there's researchers that's done that you can even see it in babies development, whether they're high intelligent or not. I often see it from elementary school where there's slowly a disconnect between themselves and their environment or their friends, their classmates, and the content that is being offered to them by school, by teachers. Whether they're either socially adapted or socially isolated. That's something that we'll figure out together, but usually it's one of the two. So either they find out that their interests and their intellect is not matching up to their environment, so they adapt themselves, so they dumb themselves down actually in order to survive in that environment. Mm -hmm or they isolate themselves because they refuse to give up their values and morals in order to fit in with the group. Once I talk about that, there's already something that clicks early on for them. Okay, yes, I've seen that. I've either isolated myself or I've adapted myself to my environment. And then we go to, well, what happens in your parenting, right? Oftentimes we see that parents see intelligence as a uh, great thing in a young kid, right? Let's nurture that. Let's feed that. Let's push him in that direction because that's where he's obviously going to achieve success. So emotional development, mental development, and sometimes even physical 
just simple motor skills, those developments end at a certain age because they don't get feed and nurture just as the intellect does. They get valued, appreciated and love and recognized for their intelligence, but not so much for their effort. So when they actually do something else and they fail, it seems like their whole life is falling apart. Wow. Mm. I, I have these expectations from my intelligence and I try soccer and I follow my face and wow, why is this? I don't understand. I should, things should come easy to me because everybody is giving me so much love and appreciation for my intellect. So there's a little bit of fear of failure and fear of commitment, social anxiety, what develops there. And they find themselves hyper-focusing on one very narrow skill set, intellect. Oftentimes you see with high intelligence, that's a stereotype, right? Their motor skills is not that great or they're socially awkward, et cetera, which that's absolutely not true, but that's a stereotype that sometimes fits them because they found something that they're good at and they've been hyper-focused on that specific part there. And also when we look at the educational career, oftentimes around college or university, it falls apart because then you can't just completely rely on your intelligence. You're going to have to plan ahead. You're going to have to schedule, going to have to study over a very long extended period of time and connect the dots. You can't just take five minutes (laughs) before the test and just go hardcore 24 hours of studying and just ace it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or just get lucky because smart. You really need knowledge compounded over several years. And that's where uh, their effort hasn't been developed. So it kind of falls apart. And that's usually also the time when they find poker, coincidentally, around those, those years. It's so interesting that you touched upon that notion of effort, because in so many of the interviews that I've done with high stakes poker players, and so many of my personal clients who are high stakes poker players, there's a theme where there comes a time where they they be, they become lazy because they their intelligence just just they're like they're they're operating on like fifty percent capacity and getting straight A's and then all of a sudden they hit a challenge like suddenly the competition gets a little bit fierce and they're not able to match up and they go into like a fixed mindset kind of oh I don't want to do this because of X Y Z when Very really true. they're kind of running away from a challenge so it's really yeah. interesting that you you said that do you know what I'm thinking about when you sure. were saying all that the Queen's Gambit mm, I, I'm definitely. thinking of I'm thinking of Beth and I'm yeah. thinking so let's go down that tangent a little bit I'm thinking about when she in the first couple of episodes when she gets slammed playing speed chess against Benny right and yeah. she's like getting really angry she's like why am I losing all the time and she cannot leave she has to keep going and going but at the same time she suffers from there's an ineptness there when it comes to emotional intelligence so yeah. so just can you just expand upon that a little bit like when you say high intelligence you're talking about high IQ and and how how do these um, people you work with what is, what is happening with their emotional intelligence? Is there a pattern there, or is it subjective and individual? Oftentimes, they um, there's a friction that exists within them, and this is a, a, a concept that I discuss with them. It's called the the theory of positive disintegration by Dr. Dabrowski incredible smart man in the 80s and 70s. Uh, He came up with this theory because he believed that highly intelligent people, in order for them to develop personally, they almost have to go through a period of disintegration, whether it's depression, anxiety, bipolar, psychosis, anything of these mental disorders, right? They get diagnosed by that by professionals who are not experienced in high intelligence, But if they would be experienced in high intelligence, they would not only diagnose the client, they would also tell them, but this is actually inevitable. And this is a great moment for you in your life, because now you're shedding all these old beliefs that you had about yourself, about the world, these old coping methods that you had, these old values, these ideas that were false, right? And also you're losing a lot of trust in yourself because you used to trust yourself in a lot of aspects. And now that the world is opening up for you and you're you're meeting people, you're seeing things, you're learning about the world and learning about yourself. You're noticing that I really don't know anything at all. I thought I knew it, but I don't. And this is scary. This is a very Mm -hmm. tricky time. And then all those emotions come up and managing those emotions. Yeah, that's very tricky if you've never spent any actual time developing yourself emotionally because you've just been able to like you said, 
kind of flow through life, right? Just on a calm path, nothing really crazy happened. You always was able to get away with murder and you didn't really have to use your social network to empower yourself. You could usually mm -hmm. empower yourself in your own mm -hmm. power, right? In your own strength. So socialing, don't really have to be social that much. Not really necessary. I mean, I'm okay. I'm fine. So when you discover that all of those are necessary, then we have a little bit of friction because how do I do that? Right. I see my intellectual potential, but how do I realize that and become mm. the person that I actually want to be? And that's, I think, usually the tricky part. The emotional itself, some people have an incredible high level of emotional intelligence, but now what do I do with it? Right. Mm. Actually, acting on it. This is a great quote that I uh, had from a client just last week. Great, um, great guy plays in Bobby's room, huge stakes, incredible. And he says, yes, it's true. I have an incredible high emotional intelligence. I read people. I have a lot of empathy. I can just see from micro behaviors, how a player plays. And then he actually exactly behaves in a profile that I sketch for him. But then I don't know what to do with that information. Hmm. That's a a huge friction, obviously. You know all this information, but what do we do with it? That's What's so funny. I was, next okay. step? I was talking to a high stakes uh, client the other day, like a really uh, an empathic, really like I, I was, I was saying to him, wow, it must be like a superpower for you because like when you're going to play poker, you're, you're almost in tune with everyone's feelings and emotions. And he's like, dude, it ain't no superpower. And, and it, it is, but he doesn't know how to harness it, right? So he's completely out of control and it's overwhelming him and making him feel. And I guess, um, you know, when we talk about emotional intelligence and high intelligence, I guess there's, um, all right, there's a genetic uh, proponent to this, but I imagine as well, if your parents are very, very nurturing and allow you to express your full range of emotions mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and do all that kind of thing, then you are going to develop... Um, a uh, a good strong uh, EQ as you grow older. It's, yeah, it's funny as you said about um that the, they go through like um I know we're, we're talking very subjectively here, but people can go through life on their own because they don't need any help. Yeah, right. And then this reminds me again of the of the the Queen's Gambit where Beth is ready to take on Borgoff and she's afraid of taking him on, and Benny's like. Well, well, we need a team. We need Americans never work together. They always work mm -hmm. in isolation. So Russians work in a team. And I and it reminds me of poker is when the high stakes poker players realize, oh wow, if I connect with these people and we exchange knowledge and information, we're going to accelerate our growth as opposed to just trying Absolutely. to do it on ourselves, right? Yeah. Very mm -hmm. true. Yeah. Very true. And those are skills, right? We forget uh, as quote unquote, regular people would forget that those are skill sets, right? And uh, for me as well, I mean, and, and that's to answer the question you asked initially, how do you recognize it? Well, mm. in my opinion, there, the tests don't really hold that much value. And I'll tell you why. Every country tests differently. So you can have a score in France and you can have a different score in America. And then after five years, you'll have different scores in both countries because development is just constantly moving and we never know what actual intelligence entails. Just a couple, I think a decade ago, they said, well, we think intelligence is a spectrum, right? Mm. We're talking about eight, nine, 10, 12 different kinds of intelligence. And now you can be highly intelligent if you just have one spectrum that just goes right up there and other parts are, hmm, they're average, right? But we also have intelligence and we have something that's called processing speed. So I have a client, for example, who has an intelligence of 145, which is incredibly smart, but a processing speed of below average. Right. So he knows the answer to everything. It just takes him a lot of time. So back in school times, and education and college, he knew everything. He just needed four hours to he make couldn't get his exam. He couldn't get his no, exams done. He couldn't get them done on time. So he <laughs> That's felt so like, funny. That's so frustrating, <laughs> right? It's like everybody told him this guy's slow. He's he's stupid. So they even yeah, put him yeah. in special ed. That's just incredible, right? You're 145 IQ and you're in a class with kids that are drooling, fighting, biting each other. Mm. That's just an incredibly traumatic experience, mm. right? So for me, it's about the individual. Mm. Do you recognize the things that I'm telling you? Yes, then I think you have 
something that is similar to highly intelligent. And then I think I can help you with that. And if you don't recognize it, then fine. I don't think we have to put it on a test, right? Especially if you look at organizations like Mensa, they even have this award show where they give an award to the guy who's the smartest guy in the room. Now, with all respect, you're going to put all these socially awkward 145 IQ guys in a room like this, four girls there for some reason, all of them just stuffed in a room, all socially awkward, don't even have eye contact. Just it's yeah, a mess. Yeah. These people, yeah. these people need regular people in their social network. They need, mm. you know, lunatics. They need poker players. They need businessmen. They need to see the world for what it is instead mm. of stuffing them in isolation because you know usually most of the time that's the only place they've been so really don't like those labels at all no i was i was laughing hysterically then because of the how fucked up the education system is i wasn't yeah. laughing at the individual no, person so for example yeah. when i grew up where was i uh, like when i grew up i think i had a little battle with intelligence there was a part of me that thought to myself not only you're intelligent but the scores that i got in my exams always told me that I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And and the feedback that I got from my teachers was always, this lad has all the capability in the world, but he just can't be bothered. So he's never going to, you know, he's never going to make anything of himself. Mm -hmm. So, so then you, you, you kind of like, I don't know, for me anyway, you kind of at some point say to yourself, yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not as smart as that guy. Right. And I want to talk about that a little bit, because there's, there's something that we teach in the Strive Method for Addictions, which which I took from Jeremy Griffith, and he's an evolutionary uh, biologist, and he does work on the human condition. And he wrote a great book called The Species of Denial that I read, and now he's got a book called Freedom. And he talks about this process called resignation, where we are born just like of love and nothing like my four-year-old downstairs. He's just kind of like, it's just kind of the world's beating it out of her. Right. But it's pure love. She doesn't need anybody's opinion. She's not swayed by anybody's opinion. Right. It's just, she just wants to play. She just Mm. wants to have fun. She's just beautiful. Even Adolf Hitler at four was probably in that state. Right. I scared. But then, but then he says, there's this thing called resignation where you kind of get to your teenage years and suddenly the world and your parents want you to be an adult. You don't want to be an adult. They want you to leave home. They want you to go to college. They want you to study hard. They want you to get a job in some circumstances. And then the outside world, particularly with social media and with friends and, and uh, the way that everything is set up for like in in terms of scarcity, right? So, you know, I need to be liked. I need to wear these clothes. I need to do this. So basically I need to fit in. So he says, when you get to that age, there's a choice that's presented to you that you're really not fully aware of and you're not prepared to take. And that is, do I want to fit in? And do I want to sell my soul and murder my soul and bury who I really am so I can fit in, which kind of like makes me think of you saying, I'm going to dumb myself down and and just be like these other people so I can fit in. Or am I going to buck the trend, say, nope, I'm not going to be like you. I'm going to be me. And then the person who says I'm going to be me, they kind of go through life and have a whole heap of shit. They get bullied. They get picked on. They get abused, right? But they make it through and they end up having really wonderful lives and careers or whatever. Whilst the rest of us, me included, who sell, who murder our soul, we drink, we take drugs, we have mm. sex far too early. And then we get to middle age and we're like, who the fuck am I? Yeah. So I use that as a way to like explain to people that when you have an addiction, that you need to go all the way back and kind of figure out that uh, and have a bit of compassion with yourself because you're in a real tough spot when this all started and the way that addiction works, it hides that that conversation even existed. So mm. I don't know if you got any thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I like that. I really like that. It's very similar to what, what I believe in as well, because when I hear, for example, a poker player or a golf player talk about mental issues, mental game, uh, then we go all the way back. Let's go all the way back to elementary school, the four or five year old. How were you back then? Right? Because it's all interconnected. Right? And all these things that there's these 
there's a concept in high intelligence that's called these uh, development lines, right? And there's all these different lines that you have emotionally, mentally, physically, um, sexually, and whatever uh, line you have in development. Some things can be traumatic experiences that might not right now feel like a traumatic experience because it was a minor experience in your memories. But back then it felt very intense. It felt hurt and deep, right? It, It was an incredibly painful moment as a young kid. So that could have caused your development right there to end. So when we're talking to you right now, if we're talking together and you're my client or I'm your client, we're actually talking to a child, Hmm. right? If we're talking about discipline, if we're talking about self-control, if we're talking about managing your emotions and we're talking to a kid, we have to be aware of that. This is a child talking now. We're not talking to an adult. Somewhere in your life when you were young, that development just stopped. So you can't judge yourself based on your age or experience or anything, because inside us, there's still kids, right? For Mm. example, I know I'm absolutely a child when it comes to my direct family. I really still don't know how to exactly process that. I'm not in contact with them. It was a horrible time in my childhood. A lot of trauma. We fled the country of Iran. It just destroyed the family. When I talk about that, a kid comes back up, an angry, frustrated kid that just doesn't know how to like objectively talk about that subject. I just yeah. very, very emotional, right? And other things, well, that's me, Coach Bauman, smart guy. Hey, let's talk. I, everything, I have empathy and blah, blah, blah. But every one of us has this child, right? That just makes this complete, stupid, unexplainable decisions. And, it's, and, and for people listening to this, I, I think that's really important to just reflect on uh, what Bauman just said. There's, uh, and I'll illustrate this with a, with a real life story mm. is um, I, I believe that my wife is the best mother that I've ever seen. Mm. Now, obviously like I have a limited amount of mothers that I've of seen, course, but, God bless um, her. but the way that I, the reason that I say that is um, her capacity to hold extreme presence and compassion and empathy and get to Zia's level when Zia is screaming and shouting and biting and kicking, I never hear my wife lose her voice, lose her shit or anything. She's she's right there. She's right at that level. And when I say to her, I'm in awe of you, like, why, how could you do that? And she's like, Lee, her neocortex isn't even formed. She mm. doesn't, she does, this is the way she communicates. So, so because I know that, I'm I that's how I react to her. So then I say to her, okay, when I lose my shit. I may have a neocortex, but I'm that four-year-old, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you are. I, I, I invite you to use those same skills to meet me at my level and deal with me when I'm a child. And this is a point of conjecture between us because she's like, no, you're not a child. You're a, you're a man. man. And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, mm-hmm. you think I'm a man because I look like this hunk, this hunk of spunk, but <laughs> I'm a kid. And mm. if you actually talk to me like a kid in that moment, Right. And I don't mean the condescending adult no, kid, no, no, the way you're doing with Zia. Ah, oh, like I, I am, I, I can't defend or judge or anything. You just, you're just giving me everything that I need. So I think if you're listening in, I think that's a really important point. Yeah, absolutely. I love that, that you say, treat me like a kid. Cause that's exactly how my wife as well pulls me out of those angry phases when I talk or think about my family. Uh, she, she actually just soothes me like a kid. Like, it's okay. It's fine. I understand your decision. I support it. It's fine. Right. With patience and kindness and love, not judgment, not harshness, not directness. Right. Because those things don't work on kids. Right. Mm-hmm. We can't hold kids accountable. We can't like yell at kids and be angry at kids, right? Kids need patience, love, kindness. And I think just a lot of that is lacking in a lot of these professionals' lives, right? Whether it's a poker player or a golfer or basketball player or crypto guy, investor, whatever they do, I think a lot of pure love. But, you know, they're the blame to that as well. Uh, Oftentimes when people with high intelligence, they have a hard time respecting people with a lesser intellect. And then they have a hard time to move closer to people that are maybe mm. varying in beliefs, right? Whether it's atheism or veganism or whatever they have, it's very hard for them to come to them and take a step forward, right? Mm. Because in their mind, they have solved 
certain things. And also they've lost a lot of trust in authority figures, whether it's teachers or parents. Right? I have a kid who once found out that Santa Claus was not real and he still remembers that to this day. And he mm -hmm. doesn't understand why his dad would lie to him because he told his dad at six years old, he said, dad, Santa Claus being real or not doesn't really make this party a better or worse party for me. You could have just said the truth. I'd play along. I'd have fun. <laughs> no yeah, problem. Yeah. Could have just been honest. I don't yeah. care if this guy is real or fake. Why are you like you belittling me? You're kind of disrespecting me. That's like six year old child. It's crazy. Like, can you imagine yeah, how that felt? I remember right. my boy saying to me, oh, he doesn't exist. I'm like, no. And he's like, well, oh, OK. Can I still believe in him, though? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course you can. Um, there was something you said earlier on. Oh, by the way, like, sorry, just before I go to this. Sure. The, the statement you made about some high intelligence people, like having a problem with people of lower intelligence. I, as you know, work, work at the highest level when it comes to uh, high stakes poker players. Yeah. Um, I often feel that. And then I, I end up getting in an internal wrangle with myself about whether I'm making up a story. Uh, because of my own lack of self-worth or whether it's actually happening. And I like to think just recently I've actually come out and I've said to myself, do you know what? Fuck it. I am a very intuitive person. And, and just because people think I'm a know-it-all or I'm trying to read people's minds, I'm not going to allow that to shut me down. Like I am an intuitive person. So I, I do feel that. And um, it's, it's, I think listening to you talk and understanding it more will, will allow me to have greater empathy when I'm faced with that. Mm. So instead of being confrontative about it or thinking, what a dick, I can actually be like, okay, there's a reason why this piece of person is being this way and, uh, you know, try to yeah. be more empath empathic. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of reasons for that. And like I just said, it's first of all, most of it comes from losing trust in authority figures, whether it's finding out that teachers are teaching things that they don't understand or they can't prove, right? They're just teaching it because they have to teach it. Uh, they can't really back up any of the teachings sometimes, not all of it, but sometimes teachers just say things. This is the way it is. Deal with it. Right. Mm. And that moment for a child, it's almost like shutting them down. Like, I don't want you to be curious. I don't want you to express yourself. I don't want you to open yourself up and be vulnerable in my class. Just follow along. Right. And you basically shut down on his very valuable qualities that they have within them and we all know what happens when you shut down a child's uh, curiosity it's very unhealthy for a little kid especially yeah. if it's such a big part of their identity being curious being open-minded right next comes not only losing uh, trust in authority figures but also having to figure it out on your own at a very young age having to develop all of these values while not having the life experience to actually answer a lot of these questions, these kids spiral into depressions in elementary school sometimes. Nine, 10, 11 years old, we got kids depressed and anxious, just completely out of their brains because there are just so many questions that they can't answer because they're kids and they also don't trust other people to answer it for them. Now, also, they don't find connections with other people on the existential issues that they have. So there's a lot of things going on that almost puts them in this state of self-protection. Like, I'm not going to open myself up intellectually to you because I've been hurt before. I know where this leads. I don't it's like trust shame. It's like there's a shame issue there. Yeah, it's a little bit of a... Because yeah, we, where, where I lived, we would, we would bully the shit out of anyone who was smart. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so if you're bullying someone who's smart as well and they don't understand it, they're going home and they're, they're ashamed of who they are. Like I'm being bullied because I'm intelligent. Like that's ridiculous. If you think about it, it's ridiculous, but yeah. that's what would happen because a bully just wants to find someone who's not going to fight back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have not yet met a high performer with high intelligence that openly boasts about his intelligence. I've not met them yet among each other. Sure. But when it's with me, I talk to them and they say, no, nah, I don't think I'm highly intelligent. I'm like, oh, you're, yeah. you're extremely intelligent. I don't really think I'm, right? They've almost made themselves believe that there's nothing wrong with them, right? That they're yeah. just normal, that they're fine. So absolutely, they disrespect or don't respect people with a lesser intellect because 
it's mostly out of fear, out of fear of being disappointed, fear of being heartbroken, fear of maybe losing someone again because they opened themselves up to someone and the person thought they were weird or didn't appreciate that. All right. There's also some definitely some issues with girls there when we talk about highly intelligent boys trying to get into relationships. You don't want to bother a girl in the club talking about the Big Bang and that <laughs> and neuroscience, bro. What the hell are you talking yeah, about? The girl yeah, yeah. just trying to have party and you talking about neuroscience. I love like, it. This is, I this love is really it. these boys like really need this. I have this myself as well. Sometimes I just walk into the living room and I give my girl just a huge speech, a presentation about something I just found out on the internet. And like. Why don't you think this is interesting? You're fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, I like. <laughs> right? That's so funny. Yeah, I'm like that with my wife. Like that. Yeah, I'm like that with my wife as well. Can high intellect also be used as a weapon and a shield? So, can it be used as a shield against vulnerability? In because mm. they weaponize it by using their intellect to bully other people psychologically. Have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. Very, it, it's a uh, very common uh, narcissistic behavior. is very common among highly intelligent people, and that's just self protection, right? Mm. Keeping people at a distance, keeping people at bay, not too close, because you know what? They might find out who I truly am deep inside, and I'm not happy with who I am. I don't love myself. I haven't learned how to love myself and appreciate myself. So I don't expect other people to do so. Right. I don't know what self-love even is. So how can I ever expect somebody to look at me truly for who I am inside and accept that right? and love me for that? Right. And that's the thing that's common among poker players as well. Right. You, you probably noticed that with a lot of poker players, they settle sometimes just because they think, well, what girl would like to date a poker player? Traveling mm. all the time, playing all the time. You're always a second priority going to have to be with me all the time traveling to all these crazy games. I might play a 48 hour session. I'm damn sure I'm not going to do anything in the house, right? This sometimes they just settle because they think, well, maybe this is the best I can get because mm. I mean, who would like me? I have money, but that's it. And with highly intelligent people, that's a similar issue. They often think, well, what's like, what's there to like about me? I really don't. I don't know. Right? They've been, so much appreciated for that little part of high intelligence. But the problem is it, that it's a talent. It's not something that they've developed with effort, with discipline, right? It's not a badge of honor that you can say, look at this or look at my muscles. I, I have these muscles because I work out every single day and that shows discipline, determination, or I got money and that shows something, or I have a nice house and that shows something. Or This is just intelligence. I was born with this. So I'm kind of feel like a fraud for being successful, for having these things, or for having been able to walk through life. I feel like an imposter almost. Mm. Like there's nothing else to me besides this. Yeah, I can see, I can see how you, we could flip that as well and really help them with that as well by saying, hey, look, you know, you just got lucky. Like the, yeah. this is just variance, you know? It's like, you just got the genetic lottery. It's not your fault. It's like mm. someone complaining they got a small dick. Someone's got a big dick, right? It yeah. took me a long time to just get it in my head of, holy shit, this guy just was born that way. Mm. Like, it doesn't make him any better. He didn't do anything differently. He just got born with a big schlong. He just got born with high intellect. He just got born with Patrick Antonio's style of cheekbones. Yeah, it's, just it's just the luck of the world, right? And yeah, I think yeah. sometimes that I was just being preparing for a workshop on anxiety, you know, and variance is just, it, it's good because you can just say to yourself, hey, like this is, it's normal to feel this way, you know, mm. and, and, uh, you know, sometimes we just get hit with a lot of bad luck. You're not doing anything wrong, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. How does addiction fall into this then? Because I can imagine, like in the Strife Method for Addiction, our first month we work on being stuck, right? So we work on, like, why are we addicted? Why, why are we drinking alcohol? Why can't we stop drinking alcohol? And a big, for a whole week, we work on vulnerability. You know, we do a lot of work out of Brenny Brown's brain around vulnerability. And I can imagine with high intelligence, the ability to be vulnerable is, is going to be a challenge. Mm. And then, so then I imagine, you know, one of the three shields against vulnerability is foreboding joy, perfectionism, mm. and numbing. 
So if Brenny's got it in her top three, I imagine there's a high number of high intelligent people who are numbing in one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that comes from high sensitivity. And these two are always connected. A highly sensitive person doesn't have to be highly intelligent, but a highly intelligent person is always highly sensitive. And that comes from the fact that they have to be wired in a way to not only process information properly, but also notice and see and take in all that information, meaning they're sensitive to information, whether it's just a look on your face, the way your muscles moved and portrayed a certain certain weird energy and now reading into it and I'm overthinking it or a social interaction sometimes, uh, some information on the internet, browsing Wikipedia for hours and watching silly YouTube videos about thousands of subjects, right? That's because they're very sensitive to these things. And that's absolutely drugs is a big part of that. That's the main thing that I give to my clients. Get that caffeine out of your life. Get alcohol, weed out of your life. These are not things that are designed for you. You're too sensitive for it. Meaning you experience it in, in a way that other people don't. You really escape something that you shouldn't be escaping. You should be facing this. You should, you be, should going be feeling it. Yeah, you should be feeling this anxiety and pain and uncomfortable feelings that you have when you're in a social setting or when you're studying or when you're doing something that's, you know, outside of your comfort zone. And because of that high high sensitivity that they have, things just sting. A lot of things have the potential to hurt them, right? And whether it's just a silly social interaction of five years ago that you keep replaying over and over in your head and you keep coming up with different scenarios like I should have said this or I should have done that or whether it's, you know, a friend said something in a weird tone and now you read into it. All of these things become a part of something that can potentially hurt you. So cigarettes, weed, alcohol, those are very welcome. But, you know, also the good part about it is that you feel arts, music, and see paintings and food and smells are just intense for you as well. You can't even compare it. Probably recognize this as well. I have this, all my clients have this, when you hear a song and it connects with you on a spiritual level, like a soul level almost, or you read a book and it just blows your mind. Like if you carry with it for weeks, months, maybe years, and you show it to someone else, a quote unquote regular person, they're like, this is just a book. <laughs> this is just yeah, a song. Like what specialist? <laughs> What's in this I know. Yeah. No, I don't I, I'm, I'm not putting myself in a high intelligent category, but I remember <laughs> when I, I quit my job to create 1000 days sober and, and I fell into poker writing and my best mate at the time, I was so excited about what I was doing, but also like most nervous as well. Cause I was leaving a 20 year career behind and, uh, he turned around and said to me, um, you're an idiot. Like I've read your stuff and it's shit. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized now that he was a defense mechanism cause he didn't know how to help me. And he thought I was making a mistake, but I, I, and I, and I did not deal with it at the time. And many years later, I went back to him and I said, like, I, I need you to let you, I want to talk to you about, you know, the reason we have a rift in our relationship. Um, and, and that's because of that moment, I really needed your backing and you didn't show up for me and it hurt. Mm. And he said, stop being so sensitive. And mm. I said, well, that's the thing. I'm very sensitive. Yeah. And, and, and if you're a friend of mine, you need to, you need to know that, right? Like yeah. I was doing, I was doing my anxiety um, research this morning. I just burst out crying, <laughs> just, mm. just reading about a story, you know, it's like, yeah. And also yeah. as well, thanks for sharing that because I know that I've written a poker article and it's offended a player like 10 years ago and they still don't want to talk to me today. So, and now I can understand that a little bit more about why, why and what's going on there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's basically unresolved and everything that's unresolved, as you probably know, right. Is anxiety. You, you need to solve things. You need to answer things. You need to reach out. If you have an issue with someone, you need to reach out and talk with them or else it turns into uh, anxious tendencies, right. Or if you have something that's in your life that you need to be doing, but you don't do it, you don't commit to it or you don't find answers or you don't finish a chapter, you all these things, these loose ends and, you know, highly intelligent people are great at doing that. They start a lot of different things, don't reach their high expectations that they have for themselves and quit. 
and then go back to the thing that's comfortable for them. So they have like a hundred thousand loose ends in their head of all kinds of mini projects and ventures and relationships with people that they started, but they never actually follow through. Right. And that's why I always say to poker players that yes, poker is great, but you learn a very narrow skill set. It's deep, very, very deep, but it's narrow. You will most poker players, right? Arguably, most poker players will never be able to replicate that success in another area. None of these guys are going to reach the top of the top of the top in something else if they actually don't put in the similar amount of effort, mm -hmm. at least, right? It's not going to happen like it did with poker. You're going to have to develop so many different skills besides poker because it's just a very deep skill set, right? Mm. You, especially now with online poker, you don't even have to meet people. You don't have to talk to people. You can just make millions from your house and never have seen one person look them in the eyes. Just don't even put on clothes. Don't even shower, right? Just And that's just... For me, that's just mind-blowing. And I think that's why online players definitely have a harder time than live players. Um, when it yeah, I was to, I was talking to a real top online poker player the other day, and I and I was just asking him how he's doing in his life, and he was telling me, and I'm like, wow, I can really help this guy, and he's like, no, I don't want any, I don't want any help. I just mm -hmm. I just want to play 18 hours a day, and I'm just going to keep doing that until I hit my jackpot, and then I'm then I'll then I'll reach out for help. But but the the, the problems are they don't know what the jackpot is. Mm -mm. Um, and by the time they reach out for help, they've probably fucked up quite a few things in their life because they've just focused on this one thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's really difficult. The one thing that I want people to really get out of this, the thing that, that I'm learning from this, and I just want to amplify it for people listening as barman's talking, and this is coming from my own personal experience of interacting with very high intelligent people and, and highly sensitive people, okay, is... What is singing out to me is in my past, I myself have been someone that has suffered from low self-esteem, low sense of self-worth and lack of self-love. So I need to get that from external sources. And if I am then exposed to people who are different to me and I need to get external validation and I'm not getting it because I live this outside in mentality, this outside in orientation of life, mm. then I'm going to have havoc is going to conflict is going to follow me everywhere. And I'm going to um, be more uh, on the negative kind of like a pessimistic, cynical side of life than I am optimistic. And we all know where that ends. Whereas if you can grow and develop to be um, an inside out kind of um, um, uh, an axis. So you're filling your own cup with self-love, self-esteem, and you give it to other people from the overflow, mm. then you can go into situations like I'm subjected to a high stakes poker. And instead of being hurt or stung or making it all about me, mm -hmm. when I'm dealing with high intelligent, high sensitive people, I can actually think, oh, what's going on for this person? How can I show up for this person? And if I need to get an interview with them, like, how can I show up in a way that is less threatening to them and they trust me enough to have an interview instead of being like, like a bitch, basically, like moaning and groaning? So if you're listening to this, this way of thinking that I'm processing right now is not only going to work with high intelligent, high sensitive people. This will work with anybody. Like if we're, if we're going at people with an outside in mentality, a fixed mindset, we, we, carnage is going to follow us. I don't know if you want to comment yeah. on that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's about being selfish, really. You got to be selfish in that aspect. You're really going to have to learn to take care of yourself, most of all. And we, we perform these mental gymnastics in order to just put all these obstacles in front of ourselves before we choose to take care of ourselves, right? When it's a financial obstacle, whether it's a, a, a family-related obstacle or it's a career-related obstacle, first I want X, Y, and Z before I'll practice some self-love, right? And they all expect at a certain time to, when they have reached a, that point, that something has actually changed. And they found out that nothing has changed. And oftentimes that's where the, this incredible concept of positive sense of self disintegration comes from is that that's when it happens 
usually when you find out that whatever you've been chasing is not really changing anything for you, right? It didn't really change anything, nothing about you and nothing about your environment. It's all still the same. You got a little bit of money maybe, but you got used to the money fairly quickly, right? And that's because oftentimes, and that's this, uh, that's where it comes from for all of us. When we start out in life, everything is justified in order to achieve our goal, right? We want to make money or we want to be famous or we want to be rich chasing these status games. Everything's justified until we find out that at what cost, right? What have, what have I become? Am I happy with myself now? Am I, can I look myself in the eyes and be proud of what I've done? Have I made an impact on people's lives? Am I, and that's, you know, a very common issue among poker players. It's a zero sum game. So what am I doing with this? Am I helping people? Right. And I think a lot of people are too hard on them because I'm a avid recreational poker player and I'm very happy that there are regulars who play poker. So I can play poker on the weekends. I mean, if they're not, then we're just a bunch of fish going broke every weekend. <laughs> that's, yeah, no, yeah. that's no use. I'm very happy that they facilitate me to play poker. And I'm extremely honored to be at the same table as some of these genius minds in a $20, $50 tournament online. I'll able to play with the world's greatest. I'll never be able to play with the world's greatest in golf or basketball or tennis or soccer, but you can do it in poker. And I think that's a big allure and they facilitate Mm. us. So they're entertainers in my book. They're there showing what they can do. And it's just mind blowing to me. And I think it's a silent majority that truly appreciates that. And oftentimes that's a little bit of self-sabotage, you know, putting all these obstacles in front of yourself before you start to love yourself, hoping that all these things that you gain along the way are going to in some way make you respect yourself, right? And then find out that it's not connected to any of that. It's really connected to, are you able to be a good person? Are you able to have clear values and live aligned by those values? Are you able to set a goal and commit to it? Determined, right? Are you able to push yourself when things get rough? Those are really the things that matter the most. And you know what? The interview comes to mind now. Interview you did with Andrew Robel. And I actually cried during that interview. I had to call my wife and tell her, like, I really, when you come home, I need you to see this. I'm feeling emotional again now thinking about it. When he spoke about how he had so many people doubting him and that he did it, main motivator was that he wanted to prove these people that he could actually do it. Hmm. There was so much pain in that statement. And I think it's also because of knowing that that's not a good motivator, right? There's so much anger and resentment in that motivation. There's so much, fuck you guys. I'm going to fucking prove all of you assholes that I can do this. Hmm. That's that's not a good motivator. And I think there was a time, hopefully uh, soon, or he already went, I've had the feeling that he already past that chapter that he came to the conclusion that that wasn't a great motivator. That that I think was that was, I think that, yeah, I think that was shown his emotion at the time. Cause he, yeah, he started crying at that moment in the interview as well. I think oh, he was yeah, certainly, yeah, he was certainly was, holding it back. It's tears, man. They hit me. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually writing a mini biopic of Andrew Robo right now. So I've just sent him a gazillion questions to answer. So he's going to answer them in the next couple of weeks. I love that guy. Okay. Keep your eye out for that. Um, There's so much depth to him. Well, the table. No, you think about it though. The mind is an absolute maze though, isn't it? You know, it's like, I want to talk about positive integration for the last 10 minutes, you know, but positive disintegration. Disintegration. But I I think I, I think I had a moment of it yesterday. I still haven't Mm. figured it out to his, you know, to its nth degree, but I was reading the science of getting rich last night mm. by um, William. What's his name? William something. I got the book over there written in 1910. I always have a chuckle when I read a book that's written in 1910 and we're in 2020. Um, and you realize that, okay, this, this advice has been going on for, for ages. And I asked myself a question. I just asked my, I was thinking about wealth and getting rich. And he's obviously saying like, like, just focus all the time on being rich. Like don't mm. focus on poverty, negativity. So, and I just asked myself the question, if I was rich, if I was financially free, what would change in my psychology? Like, mm. would I think differently? Like, so I'm asking that question from a place of anxiety being created 
by worrying about not having wealth. Mm. And then I'm asking myself, well, if I had it, would those, would that anxiety dissipate? And you know what? The answer was no. Like I said to Mm. myself, holy shit. Like if I had all the money in the world today, my life wouldn't change because I'd have all that money in the bank. Like it would change because I would buy a house. I would be able to fly my son to see me. I would be able to grow 1000 days sober quicker, but my mind, Mm -hmm. my mind would be the money is not going to affect the thoughts of the rise in my mind that I give meaning to or choose not to give meaning to. It's a completely different training. And in that moment, I felt a little bit of positive disintegration. I was like, I know nothing about wealth. So I now Mm -hmm. need to build that back up again. Am I on the right lines? Uh, Yes, that could definitely be a form of positive disintegration. Yeah, definitely. In, in a nutshell, it's basically a theory that describes the process of oftentimes highly intelligent people, because that was his niche, that was his forte, but it can definitely apply to regular people as well, quote unquote, regular people. What happens actually is that it's a combination of his own theory and hierarchy of needs for Maslow, right? When it comes down to I first need money, do need housing and need uh, that kind of food and water. And then I can focus on love. And when I have love and that kind of stuff, and then I can focus on my career when I have my career, et cetera. So that's really what it comes down to. Why it's called disintegration is because it starts at level one. And that means integration, right? Integrating all these external beliefs from your environment into yourself meaning building a person from all the pieces that you get from around you, right? And that person is usually built on achieving, right? I need to achieve outside. Being me is not an inside job. Being me, it's an outside job. That's how I think the majority of the world is grown up. Maybe if you're like, whatever, if you're Buddha or maybe you were blessed with some mindfulness, but if you grow up, you feel like you find yourself outside of yourself by achieving, by getting degrees, by finding money. Now, what happens in level two is that you find it and you discover that you haven't found anything. You notice, okay, interesting. I've got it, but I feel the same. Hmm. Now that's friction because you've been chasing something that has not done anything for you. And you start to disbelieve a lot of things around you. You start to doubt things. You start to doubt yourself, doubt your environment, doubt your values, your morals. What am I actually doing? What's happening, right? And that's where depression, anxiety, and psychosis, and bipolar, and everything can start to happen. And then often experience in adolescence, young adulthood, or early, you know, in your 20s, early 30s, that's where it happens. And that's where a lot of burnouts happen as well, right? When you're just putting so much in and you're not getting anything back. Now, what happens in level three and four is that you start to develop new values, new morals, new ideas, and new beliefs. And this is a very scary process because where do you find these? Oftentimes we just fall back to level one. We recycle our problems and we just go back to, okay, you know what? It wasn't money. Then let me find a hot girl. I need girls. It's probably girls, right? I get a relationship. I'm I get a relationship out, you know, again, finding it outside of yourself. Once you're able to find it inside of yourself, that's level three and four, meaning I'm looking for my goals. I'm looking for my values. I'm looking for who I am, become more conscious of who I am. And then in level three, we're about to live or are already living aligned with these new values that we found, these new morals, these new beliefs. And in level five, it's actually unconsciously competent in acting accordingly to these values. Right. Mm, so we so don't even have to think person. Yeah, you've yeah. become this person. And unfortunately, a lot of people are just stuck between one and two. And that's the world that we're living in, right? Level one, level two, level one, level two. They don't ever find within themselves. They're always looking outside of themselves. Right? This this is this is why you know I love having these conversations because what you described there, who is this guy that, who did the theory? Um, let me see his first name right here. Kazimir Dabrowski. He was controversial, by the way, because early on, back in the day, he came with, I don't believe in the medication psychiatry that's coming up, this new uh, form of um, health care, basically, because I believe that depression, bipolar, psychosis, 
anxiety, these things have a purpose. They have a function. And we shouldn't force feed these people medication to perform in a broken society. We should allow them the safety to feel and process whatever is happening to them because Mm. it has a function. So Mm. he believed in fully experiencing all the things that bipolar is doing to you instead of running away from it, which is tricky, obviously. It's pretty controversial, but you know, that's what he believed. But I think but I, I can I can think there's something to that for sure. Yeah. Um why 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 this is um why this is hitting me and why I wanted to talk about it is obviously I teach people how to become people that don't drink alcohol through my own personal experience and then teachings that I picked up from other people. And very often you'll have an idea or an experience that you can't put a label on it. So my experience was at 35. Mm. realizing that alcohol had no value to me. Mm. So realizing that for 25 years, I had drunk this stuff. My entire life revolved around the elixir, the magical elixir of this drug. And I realized that it gave me nothing, like nothing. And then I said to myself, holy shit, I need to stop. So I stopped. So now I'm like, I've just stopped something that nobody that I know has stopped. So everybody's still doing this thing that I've stopped. Yeah, I can see it has no value, but everyone around me keeps doing it. So there was that element to it. And then I said to myself, oh, no, 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 no. My head just flooded. Why are you married? Why are you in a job? Mm. Why are you disconnected from your son? Why don't you like your friends? Why are you Mm. feeling uncomfortable going to the pub? Why can't you sleep? And then I started answering them one by one. And like the first one was like my career. Like, I, like, why don't you like your job? I'm literally going in there for money. Like, that's all I'm doing. Yeah. Could you do something else? Yeah. Why aren't you doing it? I'm afraid. So I started to change everything. And this is what I teach people, actually, is the people who come to me, when they come to me in their 20s, I don't typically work with them, Barman. I, I say to them, mm. it doesn't feel, it never feels right. It's like the, it's like they're... Um, they're not, they're not ready to put in the groundwork. It's often the people who come into me around 35, 40 that are like, Lee, can you help me? I'm like, they're yeah, what's, go- what's going on? And they're saying, I-, I-, I don't know, but something's not right. And I'll say, what's not right? And they'll say everything. I don't know who I am. So I'm feeling a real kinship to this positive disintegration. Is it disintegration? Disintegration. Disintegration. Yeah, yeah positive. Yeah, I'm feel- yeah, because so how do we um, help people deal with that? Well, um, first, it really comes down to what you just said, right? Um, Letting people feel whatever they're feeling, right? Mm -hmm. No longer numbing it, uh, using whatever substance to get away from it. I myself smoked a lot of weed, cigarettes, alcohol, um, thankfully stopped at trying ecstasy once, was a bad experience, did not want to do it again. So that was really a blessing for me. Uh, So I've used all these stuff, things to you know, make life easier for me, more more bearable. So that's one, we really need to start to feel everything Mm -hmm. that's happening to us. And second, I think we need to find some sort of putting everything that we're going through on some sort of format, whether it's video, audio. For me, it's my YouTube channel. You can actually see my disintegration through my entire channel from my early videos to now, how I just started to completely doubt everything around me, quit my job, started my company. Whatever it is, journaling, video, podcasts, you need to really start to document it, make it real, take Mm. every piece of information that's coming out of it. And we need to also look at progression as effort and not as achievement, right? If we see effort as the achievement, then every day we take a little tiny step is already a win, right? And if we can't or won't and still find a way to write it down or do something with that information that we found out about ourselves. Why didn't I do it today? What happened? How did I feel? What did I experience? How did my morning go? Right. Then we still, even on days where we feel like we failed, we can still win, right? It's about gathering these small wins, changing our perspectives and seeing how much great things we're actually doing besides this process around us. We also need to look at this process as a blessing, as a gift. 
this is you, your mind, your subconscious telling you that this is not working. Mm-hmm. We need something else. This is not who we are. We can't keep acting like this. This is a great Kanye West quote where he says, when you're a little kid, there's a certain age where you tell a kid, stop acting like that. And that's because we're all actors. This is just one big play. Everybody's acting. This is just, it's just a theater, right? Mm. Everybody just wants to be themselves, truly themselves. They might feel like I'm going to sing here, right here in the subway, but they're not going to do it because it's strange, right? People don't sing, right? It's weird. So we're all acting and they have to understand that whatever they've been doing was an act and they've got revealed. And now we're going to find who we truly are. And in order to not go from one to two to one to two, one to two, we need to feel, we need to document and we need to take every little piece of information that our mind is trying to tell us right now. I think those are a couple of things. No, thank you. Thank you for that, Barman Zagami. If anybody feels, holy shit, I think I'm suffering from positive disintegration. You have two options. You can get go to www.1000daysober.com. Click on the podcast page. You'll find Barman Zagami's details. Get all of him. Work with a guy. The other thing you could do is contact us. And if you have an addiction issue, then Stride Method for Addictions will also cover this type of thing. Uh, Barman, so, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. Uh, keep pleasure. up the good work. I think it's like hugely important. And uh, uh, much love to you, my friend. Thanks a lot, Lee. Appreciate it. Just another reminder, folks, that if you want to work with Lee Davey, that's me, and the rest of the 1000 Days Sober coaching team, then get over to www.1000daysober.com and book yourself a Choose Yourself call with me or a member of the 1000 Days Sober team so we can see if you're a good fit to take the Strive Method for Addictions course, the Strive Method for Relationships course, or just join the Strive Support team. And If you're feeling in a really, really serving mood, please rank and rate our podcast at whatever podcast platform you do or spread the word around social media and tell people to come and listen to us. Thank you very much. Love you all. Bye.